there and with Adam Sutherland today talking about his fiddling, his musical career and his compositions. If you enjoy these podcasts, please support my patron at patreon.com forward slash Simon Tumir. So Adam, thanks for speaking to me today. No worries. Nice to speak to you, Simon, always. So um, you have a brand new book of compositions out. It's called What a Story a Pair of Boots Could Tell. What's that about? That's right. Uh, it's a collection of tunes that I composed as part of a larger project called What a Story a Pair of Boots Could Tell. And that was something that I was asked to do by the a venue, a beautiful venue in Braemar called St. Margaret's at Braemar. And they wanted me to come into the community and meet local people who were involved uh, and still are involved in the Braemar Police Mountain Rescue and for me to compose a series of pieces about some of the people and stories and background of the Braemar Police Mountain Rescue and to involve local folk in the performing of it at the Braemar Mountain Festival, which happened last year now. But uh, the book has since come out and it's just a selection of, <clears throat> of these melodies with a first and a second fiddle part, some chords and some really beautiful photos and stories. It's actually a great cover as well. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, it's got the, the, the winter scene and real sense of place. Who designed that? The design was by Ronan Martin. Some illustrations inside by a lovely artist called Angela Bolt. And uh, yeah, the music was edited by Christine Martin, project managed by Jackie Pankhurst, and uh, a written piece by Rachel Marsh, and the tune's by me. Hey! Hey! Fantastic. And where can you buy it? You can buy it online from my website, www.adamsutherland.co.uk, and you can also get it from scotlandsmusic.com, and of course you can also get it from St. Margaret's Braemar as well. Oh, that's amazing. So to go back to the, the beginning of your career, was it? Yeah, did you start learning the fiddle because your dad was playing the fiddle? I started learning the fiddle because my dad had to give up running. Um, he, was, he used to run marathons and he got sore knees like many runners have. And he went to the doctor, Dr. Bennett, in the village of Foyers on the shores of Loch Ness. And Dr. Bennett basically said to him, you're going to have to stop running. And my dad wasn't particularly happy about that. Um, And so the doctor said, well, you know, you're going to have to do something else with your time. Because I think he recognized that running was a big, important part of my dad's life. So he said, wait a minute. And he went into his back room with all his pills and potions. And he came out with a fiddle case and a phone number. And he gave my dad a fiddle and the phone number of a fiddle teacher from the other side of Loch Ness, an elderly gentleman called Donald Riddle, who actually had a great number of pupils and a really fascinating uh, life story himself. So my dad just started learning the fiddle because he was basically prescribed it by his doctor. <laughs> and uh, then I started going about a year later, and that's how I kind of got into that. That's, a, that's amazing. And what was, um, I was speaking yesterday to Kevin Henderson about Willie Hunter and he was just saying he was so cool and he used to just have the, the best of times uh, learning. What was Donald Riddle like as a teacher? Well, I was I went there when I was seven and I think he was 80 at the time. So the first thing I was aware of was, I guess, how, how, how much older than me he seemed. And um, 
I've just realised I'm halfway to 80 now. And uh, <laughs> anyway, he uh, lived in this croft, and my memories are of uh, a, a, a kind of a croft which had decaying vehicles all around the place, which is a sign of a true Highland croft, really. You want to have some old cars turning orange. He also was a fiddle maker, so there was half-made fiddles hanging up, but I remember the smell of varnish. And uh, he was a really charming, uh, kind-hearted old man, and he was very encouraging. He always used to say at the end of my lessons, very promising. <laughs> promising. And I, can, I have fond memories of, of going to Donald for lessons, and he had a great number of pupils. And it was just a really nice, um, looking back, a very, I was very fortunate to have such an idyllic start to learning the fiddle. And uh, it was great. So I got three years out of uh, out of Donald before, sadly, he had to to leave this world. But I uh, also used to go to the uh, Highlands Strathspey and Real Society, of which he was the leader. And we would meet in Inverness Ice Rink upstairs in the function room every Monday night. And, uh, yeah, it was just a really nice start, and I feel very lucky to have had that. And where did you go after that, then? What what was – who was it, would you say, that maybe started to define your style? Oh, well, after Donald passed away, I started going for a few classical lessons with a great classical teacher called Isabel Grant. And she's actually the wife of a guy called Russell Grant, who I started going to in the Inverness Cathedral Choir. So I started doing a little bit of classical music. I also went to – uh, there's this uh, community centre in Inverness called the Spectrum Centre and uh, there was a wonderful chap, uh, Alex Sigarek. Uh, him and his wife Margie had the Spectrum Centre Junior String Orchestra and they were Polish folks and uh, they came over after World War II and did what many immigrants have done coming here. They contributed hugely to the local community from which we all benefited and he taught loads of classical violinists in the area I didn't get lessons from him but I went to his orchestra and it was it was lots of fun and um, so I had a, a big a bit of a random mishmash of influences I started a little bit of classical music and like I say I was a choir boy so that actually ended up being one of my biggest influences believe it or not as a fiddle player was learning about choral harmony and uh, I've always had a lot of classical music ever since then but that didn't feed into my fiddle playing straight away I went to Alistair Fraser's summer schools at the time. They were the fledgling summer schools on the Isle of Skye. Uh, in fact, they'd just started at the time. They've now been going for well over 30 years. But uh, my dad and me and my mum and brother and sister went to Alistair Fraser's summer schools there. And Alistair was an incredible teacher. He had the ability to just kind of give you this bug for wanting to play the fiddle for the rest of your life, which everyone who went there, I think, caught that bug. And he had a lot of great what I now recognise to be good teaching um, styles, teaching uh, tools, actually. Uh, he, he always taught us to question everything. He said, keep asking questions. And uh, in fact, you were there, Simon, when the, the 30th anniversary of his Isle of Skye summer school, I remember you came up and presented him with a Hands Up for Trad award. And I was at the back of the room kind of, just really enjoying this because I was thinking, wow, it's 30 years or 29 years ago since I came here. And I was listening very carefully to what Alistair said in his acceptance speech. And you might recall, he said, I didn't come here 30 years ago to tell people how to play the fiddle. Came here to ask some questions. And I thought that, I just thought that's Alistair up through and through. He's a teacher who encourages inquiry, encourages you to make up your own mind. So a long answer to your question, my own style, I think, 
was certainly encouraged by Alistair instilling in me a belief that I should be launching my own line of inquiry into the fiddle and I should be asking my own questions and I should be feeling empowered to find my own way with the fiddle and I really think that that permission that he gave me has made me well I still am asking questions I'm still furiously just trying to work it out <laughs> and uh, yeah so that's the long answer but that's probably the best answer and that confidence then and that um, need to keep on finding out more was that what started you in composition I think so he I remember um, Alistair one day in, in one of the during one of the courses in Sky he uh, I was playing I was mucking around playing the fiddle and he came over and I was just doing something that was a little bit I think spontaneous I think I just mucked around with the tune a bit which I didn't really think was particularly comment worthy but I remember him coming over and just going whoa what's that and showing an immediate interest and it was almost like being under the gaze of a really friendly spotlight and uh, he was like whoa what, what are you doing there and I just thought I don't know I'm just mucking around but it was it had quite a lasting impression that someone else was so interested to hear that I was just doing doing my own thing with a tune which I didn't really think much of but um again having that freedom to do things my own way definitely i think laid the ground for what eventually would be a love of writing melody um i, I love that when you see on social media when you post uh, someone who's actually recorded one of your tunes i think somebody recently recorded was it trips and markets someone recorded very recently i think so yeah yeah there's a there's a few different pots in the boil like that but yeah, it's that's really mental. And <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'll ever quite get used to that. Um, but it is great, actually. It's one of your more famous tunes uh, is "The Road to Ergi," and you just recently made Volume One, the Ergi Collection, your tune book. I did. That was the book I did before the, the most recent one, and uh, you, you, you pointed out it's called Volume One. Yeah, I, I did that to deliberately force myself, my future self, to to make Volume Two. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's right. That's great. So at what point then, so you're working hard, you're trying out new ideas and everything. What, when was it you decided that you were going to be a professional musician? Well, I can remember it uh, very vividly. The first time someone offered me money to play the fiddle, I, I couldn't quite believe it because up until that point, and I was 16 years old when this happened, up until that point, I was led to believe that the only way you earn money is by doing something that you don't enjoy uh, <laughs> you work to get to get money uh but so here was someone offering me money me and my friend david adam or my high school friend to play some money at a restaurant in inverness on castle street uh, whilst folk had their dinner we would play some scottishy stuff on fiddle and whistle and we got paid 30 pounds each which was a huge amount of money for me um back then i think it's a huge amount of money for me right now actually <laughs> 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 Anyway, um, so that was amazing. And I remember thinking, okay, I just got paid to play the fiddle. Paid the fiddle? But to play the fiddle. And um, I just thought, well, you know, I'm sure this won't last. I'm sure I'll probably have to get a real job at some point. So I thought, I'll just do this as long as I can get away with it. And that's basically been the basis of my career um, ever since then. That's amazing. And then you were in uh, various bands. It's dry as a Bone one? Well... Drives a Bone was the precursor to what became Croft Number no. Five, and I wasn't in Drives a Bone. That was uh, John Somerville, Misha Somerville, Sorna McDonald, Barry Reed, uh, 
a couple of other folk who were in Charleston Academy, also in Inverness, a different high school to me, and they had drives of bone. And uh, I remember reading about them in the papers because they won a competition and got to play in the Royal Albert Hall. And it was like, well, those guys are doing really well. Um, and uh, then they moved to Glasgow, as did I, and then Dries Bone transmogrified, morphed into Croft Number 5. And I joined shortly after that, along with Paul Jennings. I see. And actually, I mean, what an influential band. Well, um, it wasn't very influential on our bank accounts at the time, I'll tell you that. I remember that. And we all dropped out of university at the time to, to go professional, much to the horror of all of our parents. Uh, but no, we, I, think, um, I think we did something. We, we, uh, we had a lot of fun. Actually, there's a song came on the radio the other day. It was an Eminem remix, and it's got that Aerosmith melody, you know, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-
about their life and a little bit more depth and then you might get where they perhaps interviewed on a radio show which tends to be more about things that they're doing currently which is quite right but uh, yeah just the, the great thing about podcasts is you can be your own uh, producer you can have your own production values so I decided I wanted to just make my own a little bit about digging a bit deeper yeah, and as we look forward then, it's a very difficult time at the moment with uh, everything that's going on in the world. But actually, you have so many things that you do. You have your uh, one-person show. You have the band. You have, I mean, it's you're so much uh, going on in your life. Yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting time right now. I think as a self-employed person, you've always got to be looking for it's always a challenge. It's always like, would you agree? It's almost always been kind of zero hours contracts. Uh, yes. Essentially, it's always been gig to gig, and you know, at the start of each year, your diary's empty, and hopefully it fills up. So there's always been that element of <clears throat> slight risk. <clears throat> I suppose it's kind of entrepreneurialism, and but uh, it's a particularly interesting challenge now. Um, so yeah, I've got lots of different things. I like my one person show, but I'm looking into trying to. I, I, I've actually been wondering before this. Uh, corona thing I've been wondering about traveling a bit less but still performing and is it possible to perform online more and uh, this whole thing has really you know made that into brought that into sharp focus for all of us now and I'm doing an online festival this evening which is probably by the time folk listen to this will have been in the past but that's organized it's called a stay at home festival organized by Galen Fraser and some of his bandmates so uh, it's interesting to see if we can uh, we can all kind of convert our touring life to being online and, and will uh, will people pay for it is a very big looming question. Yeah, definitely. It did occur to me the other day there that it would be great is if you could localise streams so you could actually do a Glasgow stream, then an Aberdeen stream, and then an Inverness stream, and actually you could actually do a tour rather than one gig that could go absolutely worldwide. That's great. Is that possible? No. (laughs) (laughs) David Francis of the Traditional Music Forum the other day there said, would it be great at this time to get in touch with all the different folk clubs around Scotland and be offering them this private link and a concert that is just for them. That's very interesting. Yes, and that's maybe something worth pursuing. Um, So that's that's a really great idea, Simon. I think so. That was Dave was saying that idea. So it's maybe something worth pursuing. And anybody out there listening to this, why don't you check that out? Yeah, it's uh, all hands on deck, isn't it, for ideas like that, uh, coming together as a community and supporting each other. And how can we do that? I think a really interesting question is how is how can we all support each other as musicians? How can we support each other? How can how can fans support their artists? That's really being brought to the fore now isn't it and you know what is what is this new world kind of going to look like and um yeah it's interesting and how long is it going to go on for um is this a temporary thing that six months down the line might just be kind of ending or is this actually a year 18 months or maybe forever who knows and but you know i guess you've got to view it as an opportunity if you can yes i mean personally i don't think it is a a forever i i don't I think it'll take a bit of time to get back on track, but tourism and culture is one of Scotland's main incomes and our music and our mountains are basically 
tell people who we are. So we need our culture and we need investment in the culture, especially after this. And hopefully there's going to be some investment in the culture from the, the, the authorities in the middle of this terrible time as well. I certainly hope so as well. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Adam. And we are going to finish off this podcast with a tune that we recorded a couple of weeks ago called Dundee's Welcome to the V&A. That's a great tune, Simon. Thanks, Adam. I'll see you later. Bye.